Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Four years ago, it was a bit of an intellectual exercise to talk about how the ideas, beliefs, and policies of newly elected President Donald Trump would square with the U.S. Constitution. Now, as it appears Mr. Trump is about to leave that office, it's time to survey the landscape of constitutional rights and civil liberties. Helping us through the possibilities will be the head of the Illinois ACLU. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. My guest this weekend is someone who's been on this program several times. Colleen Connell has been executive director of the American Civil Liberties Union of Illinois since 2001. She actually started working for the Illinois ACLU considerably earlier than that and for some time headed the Reproductive Rights Project. She now oversees the ACLU's litigation efforts on a variety of issues. Like so many of us, she's doing that from home a lot amid COVID-19 restrictions and such. And we are conducting this interview via Zoom conferencing. Colleen Connell, welcome back. Oh, thanks, Craig. Uh, it's really good to be here um, and, or be here at least virtually. Yes. So thanks, and, thanks for having me. and it's always a pleasure. You know, so much has happened in the realm of constitutional protections and laws over the last four years. But let's start with the most recent things in the news, and that's voting. Uh, yes, we have seen challenges to the presidential elections rise and fall, but the issues have been all about voters who votes, who gets to vote, and whose votes are counted. Yeah, I, I guess voting rights are still very much a battleground, right? Absolutely, uh, Craig. And I think that uh, it really underscores um, <clears throat> that the Voting Rights Act, for example, of 1965, is appropriately considered the most important civil rights law that's ever been passed by the United States Congress. And we saw the importance of the right to vote uh, in the 2020 elections. And it was really the voters... Uh, that rescued uh, the country, and I want to say our constitutional democracy, uh, from the stress test that it's been under for the last four years. And, and some of that stress is, you know, has been because of the rhetoric about voting, but issues of voting, maybe not so much in Illinois, but around the country, have been playing out since longer than the last four years. I mean, voting rights are really an issue in many places. Voting rights are, are a key issue. And one of the things that um, the ACLU will call on Congress to do when, it, uh, when the new Congress uh, is sworn in in January is to fast track 
uh, the John Lewis Voting Rights Restoration Act and to pass that law to really undo or begin to undo uh, the harm that the Supreme Court did five years ago uh, when its Shelby County decision essentially gutted um, key provisions of the Voting, Right Act, Voting Rights Act of 1965. And what we saw in the wake of um, the Shelby County decision was a resurgence of efforts, particularly by states in the old Confederacy, uh, to, uh, to enact um, voter repression laws, such as voting ID laws, laws that scaled back, uh, early voting uh, laws that scaled back, um, voting by mail, and the like. And, and so it's really important uh, that uh, this country, the Biden administration, and the new Congress really elevate protection of what is essentially the fundamental right of any democracy. But overarching national laws, yeah, I mean, they, they have been important, but all elections essentially are local. Uh, I mean, the, it's, it's local governments that administer them more or less. And the rules are different everywhere. I mean, wh how do you address that? Even within Illinois, who could start counting, you know, in, in Cook County and Will County, they started counting the votes or at least processing them before the election so that they got a, a lot in. Other counties, you couldn't start even opening the envelopes of the mail-in ballots until election day. How do you deal with that kind of mishmash? Uh, I think that what you're um, identifying, Craig, is the need for some overarching, um, you know, national standards and national supports for elections, uh, and uh, unifying um, some of those collection dates would be uh, a key way to start. Um, and, we've, and we've seen, you know, for example, we've seen some efforts in the past to um, enact national standards. You know, like you know, um, being able to register. Um, to vote, you know, when you, um, you get uh, a, a, your license for your, your vehicle or, or things like that. Um, and so, so I think that there are definitely things that Congress can and should do uh, to, to try to enact some of those standards. Uh, I mean, has Illinois been relatively calm on these kinds of issues as opposed to some other places like the South? Yes, it has been. Illinois does not have a record, a track record or a sordid history, um, at least in modern times, of suppressing uh, the right to vote. And in fact, um, the Illinois General Assembly um, over the past several sessions has enacted um, you know, a number of laws that have made the right to vote more accessible. For example, um, a, a few sessions ago, uh, the Illinois General Assembly enacted a law that made it possible for voters to uh, register um, and vote on election day. Um, and um, a year ago, the Illinois General Assembly um, passed a law uh, that made it um, easier for um, people who are in jail prior to trial and who have not lost their right to vote to actually vote. Um, that was a bill that the ACLU and its allies uh, encouraged the Illinois General Assembly uh, to, to enact. And um, part of the provisions of that bill also um, uh, include 
some really important um, voter education um, measures for returning citizens. And, uh, you know, this is uh, a, a very, very important, I, I think, reform, not just from the standpoint of voting rights, but from the standpoint of um, welcoming returning citizens um, back into civic society. And um, those kinds of welcoming measures, making people um, who were in prison, who served their time, feel part of, of the general community um, is shown to actually reduce the rates of recidivism, uh, Craig. And, and so, uh, you know, again, it sort of shows how intersectional um, these good de democratic with a small d um, measures are to the health of our democracy. And let's continue along that line because the other, one of the other things we want to talk about is uh, the justice system. And I mean, if 2020 has done anything, and frankly, 2020 seems to be, you know, has done everything. Uh, one of the things it's done, it's highlighted, is the the inequities in the justice systems across the country. Uh, Illinois being no exception, uh, systematic racism has become a front burner issue, but it also seems to be a very troublesome one too. And and. Yeah, I mean, talk a little bit about what are the things that we are seeing and what we should see in the coming year or so. Uh, Craig, what we saw um, play out in real time um, over um, particularly the, the spring and summer of 2020 um, uh, on our cell phones, on our videos, um, was the horrible fact of life that people of color, but particularly black people have endured um, in this country. Um, I, I'm gonna say, if, you know, not just decades, um, but really going back to um, seeing, um, you know, slavery um, replaced by, in, in many respects, the quote unquote criminal legal system um, as a way of oppressing and controlling people of color. And the violence of that structural racism played out before all of our eyes um, over the course of this summer again, um, whether we're talking about um, Breonna Taylor or, or, or George Floyd or, or countless other individuals. And it is imperative that the Biden administration, as well as um, those of us in the states who are deci decision makers and policy leaders really identify and implement changes that will begin to undo the structural racism that is embedded in our criminal legal system. Um, and I, I think that there are some important reforms um, that need to be considered on both a uh, federal level, um, but should also be considered on a state level. And those reforms include, um, just to tick off a couple of the, I, I think the sort of high profile, but really essential ones, include very strict limitations on the ability of law enforcement to use um, lethal force um, um, against people. Um, um, we, we need to absolutely prohibit um, the use of chokeholds 
like the type that uh, you know resulted in in the police killing of of George Floyd. Uh, we also need to enact measures that um, allow real transparency into um, policing practices and procedures, particularly disciplinary um, procedures. Uh, and we need ways of holding accountable uh, law enforcement agents and systems that use excessive force, that brutalize people of color, and that do not comply uh, with the laws and the constitution of this country. Now, let me bring up the other side of the coin, uh, because if you talk to a lot of police officers uh, and, and even prosecutors, they will acknowledge that there are, while there are still too many people in jail for minor offenses and frankly, too many people um, being subjected to force, there are also a whole lot of people on the street with guns and police in Chicago, for example, have been shot at more times over the last year than perhaps in the last couple of years uh, combined so that it's a dangerous world out there for police officers. And they are, some of them are saying, you know, we are in a war and sometimes we have to, you know, respond more forcefully. Um, Craig, I'm just going to say um, two wrongs don't make a right. And um, the, the fact that, um, you know, there are examples of people um, shooting at police um, or acting, you know, in, in, a, you know, in other violent ways towards police does not justify um, the police um, um, exercising lethal force um, in the countless situations that we have seen play out over the course of, of this, you know, this summer, last summer, um, you know, going, going back decades. And it particularly is not justified um, in some of the other contexts we saw this summer uh, where uh, the police used um, excessive force against peaceful protesters and um, journalists um, because um, there were reports or actual incidents of a few of the people in the crowd um, acting um, unlawfully. I mean, you, you, you cannot, I mean, just one of the principles of policing is that um, the bad actions of a few does not justify, um, you know, military force or lethal force against the many. You, you have to be specific as a law enforcement officer in uh, asserting, um, you know, the, the force of law, um, including the, the power to arrest against those um you know, who are actually committing unlawful acts or for which there's probable cause to believe um, committed unlawful acts. Um, I mean, that's just cornerstone bedrock constitutional principles um, um, embedded in the, the Fourth and the Fifth Amendments to the Constitution. You're listening to News Radio 780's That Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore. We are talking about civil liberties from Trump to Biden. My guest is Colleen Connell, executive director of the American Civil Liberties Union of Illinois. Uh, let's move on because you've been really busy over the last year. So let's talk about some of the other uh, things. And let's move on to, to immigration and other people related, uh, you know, area. But uh, we've seen so much. I mean, four years ago, it started with the uh, 
travel ban on Middle Eastern countries. Um, throughout the years, we've had more uh, raids and uh, by the uh, Homeland Security and uh, immigration uh, officials. And toward the end, it was, you know, finding out how many children still had not been reunited with their uh, with their parents after being separated at the border. Uh, where do we go from here? One of the top priorities of the Biden administration has to be to continue to work to reunite those 545 children who were forcibly separated from their families um, at the border and who have not been reunited with their, with their families. I mean, what the Trump administration did and there's no way to put a gloss on this, Craig, was a, a gross human rights violation. And it was a complete abdication of the Trump administration's just general responsibilities of governance. I mean, um, all of the humanitarian refugee organizations um, uh, say that, you know, when, you, uh, when a governmental agency processes refugees or asylum seekers or immigrants, um, you do it in a way um, that you document who people are and who they were traveling with. Um, and nowhere is that you know, basic requirement more important than when you're dealing with young children uh, and, and their parents. And the fact that the Trump administration literally ripped infants out of the arms of their mothers and did not put in place or follow um, just basic humanitarian principles of documenting um, the identity of these children and their parents is, is, is just a complete travesty. And, and so I, I call on the Biden administration to really leave no stone unturned um, in, in reuniting these families. And my hope is that absent the um, punitive um, efforts by the Trump administration um, to use some of the family reunification efforts to identify um, parents or family members who, who may be undocumented and that you and use that as another sort of portal for um, deporting people. Um, with that threat perhaps gone under the Biden administration, my hope is that um, uh, reunification um, of, of the, these remaining families can go forward. Um, I want to turn to another area that is, has been, you know, pretty much your life's work, and that's reproductive health. Uh, access to reproductive health care has been challenged for longer than uh, Donald Trump has been in the White House. What do you see as the next steps? So I, I think that the next steps um, are, are really going to be um, um, happening in many respects in the states, like it happened here in Illinois um, a year and a half ago when the Illinois General Assembly courageously adopted the most comprehensive reproductive health and access bill or law in the country. Um, and I think that the way our constitution is structured um, makes it imperative um, that as we see the potential for um, the Supreme Court to narrow federal constitutional and statutory protections uh, for reproductive access, um, that the states um, take up the mantle 
and pass laws that protect this fundamental right. Um, and again, Illinois charted the course um, uh, for people. Governor Pritzker, um, you know, bravely stake, you know, signed that law. And I think we need to see more of that. I think that um, you know, going from the state level to the federal level. Um, I think that the Biden administration could um, take some immediate measures to um, undo um, some of the harms that the Trump administration has done. Um, the Biden administration can rejoin um, international um, health associations um, and it can um, scale back or reverse entirely um, the Trump administration's um, efforts to defund um, international health organizations um, that have um, provided access to contraception and abortion um, for, for women. And I think, you know, one of the other things that the Biden administration needs to do promptly is to look um, at how it can, through executive order and administrative regulations, um, buttress the Affordable Care Act's uh, contraceptive um, and women's, excuse me, and women's health provisions such that um, if an organization um, like Little Sisters of the Poor um, um, has been found to have a um, religious objection to providing contraceptive services for um, their employees, uh, the federal government makes um, it possible for those employees to access um, contraceptive services and full health services, um, you know, through some kind of, um, you know, federal uh, program or accommodation. How much is that effort going to be uh, ham hampered or at least affected by what's really been a conservative shift in federal courts, at least around the country? I mean, this is this was one of the things that many of the people who voted for uh, Donald Trump four years ago really cared about and wanted to see, which is to have the courts be more conservative on issues of reproductive rights, on issues of, of life. Right. And, and I, 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 Craig, it's going to be a real impediment. There's no way of, of, of um, going around that. I, um, you know, I think that um, what we um, are likely to see is the Supreme Court scaling back um, the right to access to um, reproductive health care, including contraceptions, uh, contraceptive devices, and, and as well as abortion. Uh, and, and that's really why uh, it is incumbent um, for all of us who are, uh, who are advocates um, to um, use all the tools that um, the Constitution makes available, including going to the states and state legislatures um, to uh, really try to buttress uh, this important and fu fundamental right. And I mean, you know, and again, this is where, you know, the public opinion has remained, um, you know, quite constant since the Supreme Court decided Roe, um, you know, 40 some years ago. Um, you know, the majority of people in this country um, think that um, individuals, not the government should make decisions about whether um, you want to have a child and how many children you want to have. Um, and I mean, that's just, you know, not just um, from my vantage point 
um, good constitutional law because it recognizes, as our Bill of Rights does, that these individual decisions are a fundamental component of the liberty that the Bill of Rights protects. But quite frankly, it's also common sense. I mean, really, you know, who's better placed, um, you know, than you or me or, um, you know, other individuals to decide um, whether we want to have a family and how large that family can be based on the other obligations and responsibilities in our life. Um, if, can we very quickly tell me what the priorities are going to be when it comes to uh, LGBTQ? The, the government has gone back and forth about recognizing gay, bi, and transsexual uh, people. So uh, where do you want to see things go? So um, I, there are two quick fixes that the Biden administration could do um, without any congressional action whatsoever. The first thing it can do is um, it can restore to the military what the Joint Chiefs decided uh, under the Obama administration, which is basically that allowing transgender um, people to serve um, advances and does not diminish national security. That's, that's number one. The second thing is that the um, Secretary of Education um, can, um, you know, immediately, um, you know, try to um, restore the interpretation of Title um, IX of the Civil Rights Act um, to say basically um, that Title IX um, protects the um, uh, right of um, transgender students um, to use bathrooms and locker rooms um, consistent with their gender identity. Um, that had been the policy of the Department of Education under the Obama administration. Um, General Counsel um, uh, um, in the Department of Education issued a guidance that said this is how um, the Civil Rights Act should be interpreted as applied to schools. Um, the the uh, uh, Trump administration um, under Betsy DeVos, um, you know, took issue with that. And that's something the Biden administration could pretty immediately and quickly repair and should repair because, you know, just to state the obvious, you know, it's hard enough to be a teenager. Um, and, you, you know, the government should um, not be putting these bigoted impediments to teens being able to access, you know, um, bathrooms and locker rooms that are, you know, obviously, you know, part of the educational experience. You know, you can't go to school, you know, all day and not use the bathroom. And so my, my last topic, and we only have like a minute or so to, to talk about it, is, 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 you know, the ACLU has long been all about free speech. But we have had, we're in an era where abusive political discourse has been sanctioned at the highest levels. Uh, so, I mean, what's, a, what's ahead for that? I mean, now people can point to free speech and say, I can call you anything I want because I have free speech. And that's the, that's where we are right now. What do we do? Well, uh, this is where I'm going to go all uh, lawyerly and wonky on you and say, um, that's always, you know, in many respects, been the case, um, you know, reined in by concepts of civility, which are, you know, um, not legal concepts. Um, what the First Amendment protects is against governmental uh, intrusions or restrictions on speech. Um, but um, private platforms um, like Twitter 
um, can, uh, if it chooses, um, say that these are the rules to use our platform. And if you don't abide by our rules of civility um, or fair information, um, then um, you can't use our platform. And that's again, always been, always been the case. Um, you know, um, I couldn't um, actually um, assume that I could get on WBBM and say anything that I wanted to say um, uh, under the, you know, the, you know, curtain of the freedom of speech, you know, um, you know, WBBM has the ability uh, to control who's going to be able to use its platform. And so that being said, um, I think it, it does not go out on a limb and this may just be again, a, a restoration of common sense to say, um, we could probably all use a little bit more civility, um, you know, uh, in our in our public discourse. Um, and I'm gonna say, and in some ways it really puts a great deal of responsibility as there always has been on the news media and it's protected first amendment right. And I think the news media um, of late has really, um, you know, by and large tried to um, identify speech that is, um, you know, a, a deliberate misstatement or, or, or a lie. And, and I think that that is really important and in keeping with the news media's awesome responsibility, um, which is why it's protected in the first amendment. Well. Thank you very much for that vote of confidence. And that's going to be the final word. I, that is Colleen Connell of ACLU, Illinois. Thank you so much. Uh, to our listeners, if you'd like a copy of this program or to hear it again, please visit our website at WBBMnewsradio.com. There should be a link at the bottom of the page. You can also find our podcast on radio.com. I'll be back next week with another edition of Ad Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 